This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language, mature themes, including discussions of emotional and psychological trauma, and abusive cultural values, including forced breeding, the glorification of violence, sexual stereotyping and prejudice, and trans misogyny. The views expressed by the characters do not represent the views of the author. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 287. Hello, Metamorphs. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester, the creator of the Metamorph City story universe. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorphcity.com. This is the show where I share my fiction with you and tell you what's new with my writing endeavors. So let's get started, shall we? Here is this week's story. Today I'm bringing you chapter 28 in my Metamorph City novel, Making the Cut. If you're new to the show, Go back to episode 259 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. In last week's episode, Rebecca woke up screaming. Her ESP talent had given her a premonition that something terrible was about to happen to Daniel, but when she tried to use her power more actively, she couldn't find him. She could catch glimpses of him from the past, but in the present, it's like he's nowhere. Add to that the fact that he hasn't been returning her calls, and Rebecca is getting seriously worried. Sasha agreed to help Rebecca try to find out what's going on. Together, they went to Elder Miriam Bakhtavar, who's been working with the Summer Cell to plan the raid on Viscount Security. Miriam noted that there might be nothing to worry about. They've all been through some tough emotional experiences lately, and sometimes that can change a person's self-perceptions enough that it makes it hard to find them through ESP. Still, she was willing to consult with the Hive's telepathic network to see if any other teeps have encountered Daniel recently. As it happened, they had, but none of the women were prepared for what they found. Miriam showed them an image not of Daniel, but of Danny Sharabi, the first time that any of them have seen Daniel's female alter ego. Even more shocking, Danny was at a Hive-owned hospital to get her curse-inhibiting implant removed, which means that she intends to make her transformation permanent. In 24 to 48 hours, the curse will take hold of her fully, and Danny Sharabi will be here to stay. Making the Cut, a novel of Metamore City, written and read by Chris Lester. Chapter 28 Mistress Bakhtivar broke the connection to the Teep network, and Rebecca fell back against the kitchen counter, her mind reeling. 
If she hadn't known any better, she would have suspected someone was playing a cruel game with her. How could all this have happened without her knowing about it? Daniel had often expressed his frustration with the Hive, but he had never mentioned the idea of actually becoming a woman in order to gain more acceptance. How could he do something this drastic without at least talking to her about it? Didn't she deserve that much, after everything they had shared? Brian and Fiona looked up from the table with questioning expressions. Sasha welcomed them into the mind link and showed them the memories they had just experienced. Brian looked almost as stunned as Rebecca felt, but Fiona just nodded thoughtfully to herself. Very clever, she murmured. Unexpected, but clever. Rebecca stared at her. What are you saying, Fee? Sasha and Brian looked like they were wondering the same thing. Fiona looked up at her and matched her gaze without flinching. This is a good strategy for Daniel to take, she said. She is using the Hive's pragmatism to her own advantage. Nothing she would have accomplished as a man could make her more valuable than what she has just done. Assuming, of course, that she is able to go through with the challenges of pregnancy and motherhood. Rebecca smacked her hands down on the counter. You're a fine one to talk about motherhood, Fiona. It was your turn to get pregnant a month ago, and you still won't take off that damned birth control necklace. Why should Daniel have to do this when there are real women in the hive who aren't pulling their weight? Sasha gasped, but Rebecca ignored her. Fiona was on her feet, across the room, and leaning into Rebecca's face in less time than it took to blink. Look at me, Rebecca, she snapped. Did you see that? No, you didn't. Do you think I could do that if I were like this? She put a finger on Rebecca's stomach. Do you think I could stop an intruder? or help defend the Hive against vampires. Do you? Rebecca flinched. Sasha reached out toward Fiona, but the redhead held up a hand toward her without looking at her. Fiona straightened and lifted her chin. I earn my keep by protecting you and our daughter from harm. I cannot do that if I let myself become helpless. Daniel has no such excuse. There is nothing he could do for the Hive as a man that he cannot do equally well as a woman. Rebecca looked at her sullenly. Daniel is a good fighter, too, you know. Fiona snorted. Daniel did well in combat class. That is hardly the same thing as being a warrior. She strode back to the table and sat down. I do not understand why this is bothering you, Rebecca. Daniel has rescued herself from irrelevance and self-pity. She is endeavoring to move on with her life. I would have thought you would be pleased. She raised an eyebrow. Unless his suffering fulfilled some emotional need inside of you. Is that what this is about, Rebecca? If he cannot be with you, he should spend the rest of his life pining for your company. Rebecca felt tears welling up in her eyes and opened her mouth to protest, but then Brian's voice echoed through the room like the crack of a whip. Fiona! Brian was on his feet now, glaring at Fiona with his hands flat on the table. Fiona stared back at him, her green eyes burning with defiance. Rebecca and Sasha held their breath as the two stared each other down. If any thoughts passed between them in that silence, Rebecca couldn't hear them. It was Fiona who finally broke. She didn't look away from Brian, but she took a long breath and let it out, deliberately letting her body relax. 
Her face slid back into its usual, impassive expression. Yes, Captain, she said. Brian's frown deepened at that, but he straightened up and gave a slight nod toward the door. Take a walk, Lieutenant, he said quietly. Fiona looked at him a moment longer in silence. Then she got up, stood at attention, and saluted him. Yes, sir, she said. Her voice betrayed nothing of her thoughts. Brian returned the salute, and Fiona held hers until he lowered his arm. She left the apartment without another word. Brian stared at the door after she left, his hands at his sides. Sasha leaned forward onto the counter and let out a ragged breath, then buried her face in her hands. Rebecca grabbed a tissue from the nearest box and used it to dab at her eyes and blow her nose. That was well handled, Captain Summers. The voice came from behind Rebecca, in the corner of the kitchen, and all of them jumped at the sound. Rebecca turned to see Mistress Bokdivar leaning against the stove with her arms crossed. Had she been there the entire time? Rebecca supposed that she must have been, but as soon as the argument had started, it was like she had disappeared into the background. Must be an elder thing, she thought. Brian lowered his head and blushed. I'm sorry you had to see that, Elder, he said. I... Rebecca sensed that he was about to defend Fiona, but then a cloud of fresh anger passed over his face, and he fell silent, his lips settling into a thin, hard line. The Elder shrugged fractionally. Every family has arguments. I wonder, though, if perhaps I might have a word with her in private. Brian's eyes widened, and Rebecca was sure he was thinking the same thing she was. Since when did an elder need to ask permission to do anything? Of course, he said, bowing to her. If there's anything you can say to her that will help, we shall see. The older telepath started toward the door. Mistress? Rebecca asked. Mistress Bakhtivar looked back over her shoulder at Rebecca. Yes, child? Rebecca swallowed nervously. What do you think we should do about Daniel? The elder turned and came over to her. She reached out and took Rebecca's hand. From a strictly practical point of view, Fiona is correct, she said. Daniel is likely to find much more acceptance in the hive this way. A fertile womb is the greatest gift she could offer for the survival of our people. Rebecca shook her head. But Daniel wouldn't do it, she insisted. Not like this, not so damned fast. Mistress, please, I know him better than anyone. There's something wrong here, I just know it. Mistress Bakdivar looked into her eyes for a long moment, then gave a slow nod. Then you must do what you feel is right. Only remember that sometimes people do change, either because they choose to or because they feel they must, if they are to survive. Rebecca lowered her eyes. Yes, mistress. The elder left without another word. Rebecca looked up at Sasha and Brian, feeling lost. It's your call, Bex, Brian said gently. What do you want to do about this? Rebecca bit her lip and thought. I have to go talk to Daniel. I need... her to explain why she did this. I get what Mistress Bakhtivar's saying, 
but I won't believe it unless I can look in Dee's eyes and hear it from her straight. Brian nodded. We still need to get ready for tomorrow's op, but we can handle that without you. Sasha will go with you. Rebecca shook her head. It should be just me. Deal say things to me that he won't tell anyone else. We're not letting you go out there by yourself, Sasha said. If something is wrong with Daniel, it could be dangerous for you to be alone with him. Her. She reached under the sink and pulled out the snub-nosed revolver that they kept hidden there in a secret compartment. I'm no Fiona, but I'm still combat-rated, and I can call for help if we need it. Both of you be careful, Brian said, taking them in his arms. I couldn't stand it if anything happened to you. Rebecca held him close for a moment, then went to hunt for her shoes. Now you know how I feel about Daniel, she whispered. Fiona ran up thirty flights of stairs and came out onto one of the tower's common areas, a broad terrace looking out from the south side of the building. Long boxes full of small trees and garden plants gave the place a little touch of serenity, in contrast to the busy city around it. She sat down on one of the concrete benches and leaned back against the wall of the building, breathing in the scent of flowers and listening to the gentle buzz of the insects. She couldn't hear anyone else coming, nor were they likely to at this time on a weekday morning. She was alone for now. She closed her eyes and let her walls of self-control come down by just a few degrees. Quiet tears welled up and ran down her face, and she had to control her breathing carefully to keep from sobbing. She had hurt Rebecca deeply. There was no getting around that. She hadn't intended to. She had hoped that showing Rebecca the flaws in her logic would help her to accept Daniel's decision and move on. But the words that had come out of her mouth were so harsh and bitter that Fiona herself could hardly believe that she had said them. Sometimes she really didn't understand herself at all. Why do I do this? she wondered. Why do I hurt the people I love the most? A thought floated up to her in response. Usually, because they are the only ones close enough for us to hurt. Fiona froze. Elder? she asked. The door opened, and Miriam Bakhtavar glided onto the terrace. Fiona hadn't sensed her coming, by sound or by smell which she found both deeply impressive and deeply unnerving. I was hoping that I might have a word with you, she said. Fiona lowered her eyes. Of course, Elder. If there is anything you require, I will of course be honored to assist you. Miriam smiled kindly and sat down on a bench facing Fiona's. Actually, I thought that perhaps I could help you. Instantly, Fiona felt another protective layer go up around her emotions. How so? she asked. The elder folded her hands in her lap. You have a rare gift among telepaths, Fiona. You are able to separate the facts of any situation from your feelings, to consider matters impartially. It is this gift that makes you such a gifted manager for the hive's investments— you are able to distinguish between your own enthusiasm for a given company and its actual financial merits. 
our portfolio's annual return has tripled since he took over its administration. Fiona felt an urge to smile at the praise, and an equal urge to frown in suspicion at whatever Miriam was driving at. She suppressed both reactions and simply nodded once. Thank you, Elder. I am glad that you find my performance satisfactory. Miriam held up one finger, and Fiona immediately fell silent. Unfortunately, Miriam said, this gift seems to come with a price. While you are skilled at examining the facts apart from your emotions, you seem to have difficulty analyzing your emotions themselves. Fiona smiled humorlessly. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure, she said. Who can understand it? The prophet Yermiyahu was very wise, Miriam said. But I fear that quoting scripture will bring little comfort to your cellmates when your anger causes you to lash out at them. Fiona looked away and tried not to grimace. I regret that I hurt Rebecca, but it was she who provoked that argument, not I. It is difficult not to take offense when she devalues the role I play in the cell. Miriam leaned forward in her seat. And why is that role in particular so important to you? You have many gifts to offer, Fiona. It is obvious that you love deeply and with intense loyalty. Why are you afraid of extending that love to children of your own? I am not afraid, Fiona insisted. It is a matter of practicality. This is a time of danger for the collective. It would be irrational for me to deny the cell the use of my egoist abilities when they might be needed at any moment. Except that the collective is always in danger, Miriam said. And if you should die before you have had the opportunity to pass on your abilities to the next generation, then they will be lost to us forever. Fiona considered that a moment, then nodded. You are right. Very well, then. I will authorize the hive to harvest some of my eggs for surrogate transplant, so that my abilities will not be lost. Miriam sighed and rubbed her temples. You would rather that your children were raised by another woman in another cell? We all belong to the hive, Fiona said. Better for them to be born in another cell than never to be born at all. Then you admit that you have no intention of ever becoming a mother. Fiona clenched her jaw. I admit that I have no intention of becoming helpless as long as my family needs me to defend them. Miriam looked at her for a long moment, then nodded slowly. And why are you so afraid of being helpless? Forgive me, Elder, but I already told you that, Fiona said, unable to keep the edge out of her voice. My family needs... No, Miriam said, cutting her off. Fiona looked at her in surprise. This is not about the other members of your breeding cell, she said her own anger showing now. They have other defenses beyond you, not least of them being Brian's electrokinesis. The cell could survive your pregnancy without being an exceptional danger. This goes deeper, Fiona. Much deeper. I see walls inside you so thick and high that a balefire spell would barely leave a mark on them. Defenses like that do not take root without a very good reason. She leaned in closer to Fiona, 
and as she met her gaze, her expression softened. There is deep pain inside of you, Fiona, one that you have hidden from your friends, your lovers, perhaps even from yourself. I cannot see what it is, but it lies at the heart of your fear of being helpless. It is the one emotional influence that you cannot dissociate from your logic, because it is the only one that you refuse to acknowledge. Fiona stared at her blankly. I... She stopped, cleared her throat, and tried again. I am sorry, Elder, but if there is something like you describe inside of me, I do not know what it is. Miriam rose to her feet and nodded once. Fiona quickly rose and bowed to her, wanting to show her respect. In that case, Miriam said, I would suggest that you consider doing some exploration behind those walls. I am sure Sasha would be willing to help you. She headed for the door, then paused and looked back. Because if you do not, it is likely that you will continue to hurt the people you love, and you will never understand why. And that's the end of chapter 28. Come back next time, when Rebecca and Sasha go looking for Danny. But how will she react when they find her? H. Jackson Brown Jr. said, Don't waste time waiting for inspiration. Begin, and inspiration will find you. So, let's see what inspiration has found me this week. It's time for the weekly writing report. This update covers the week of May 1st through May 7th. I wrote 3,539 words this week, over the course of 7.25 hours, for an average writing speed of 488 words per hour. As of Friday night, I have gone nine days without breaking my chain. This week I continued working on the new outline for None Shall Dwell Within, Last time I tried this, I only plotted out maybe the first act of the book, but I was trying to juggle at least four separate plot threads at once. As a result, I didn't get very far with any of them, which means that I didn't notice the plot holes until I was about 10,000 words into writing the book. This time, I'm trying something different. I created a blank folder in my Scrivener project and started laying down scene cards for just one plot line. I started with Kate's story arc, mapping out the murder investigation that guides her role in the book. I worked out exactly what happened to the victim, what it would look like from the perspective of the police, all of the clues they would need to solve the case, and the order in which they would be uncovered. I followed this plot line straight through until I hit the point in the third act where I can't go any further without the characters from the other plot lines. Then I created another new folder, and started doing the same thing for the next major character. In this way, I hope to prevent the sort of dead ends and blind alleys that derailed me the first time I tried to write this book. More than ever, I'm realizing just how much story I'm trying to pack into this book. It's entirely possible that I'll have to split it up into multiple volumes, but I'm excited about this project again, which is exactly what I hoped for when I took a break to write the Honor Bound trilogy. 
It's big and ambitious, but I think I can do it. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2021 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.